Context Podcast is proudly sponsored by Delta Wines and Brick and Mortar, our everyday go-to with sustainability built in. Delta Wines are vibrant yet balanced, made to be enjoyed on special occasions. Brick and Mortar was founded in 2011 and has worked to create the European wine drinkers, California wine. The wines are small lot, single vineyard sourced from Napa, Sonoma County, and Mendocino Ridge. In addition to tasting good, they also help you feel good with an eco-friendly packaging and environmental nonprofit donations with every purchase. Buy online at winesforchange.com. Also, use the code CONTACTS to support us and get a discount. The presentation is beautiful. The wines are great. You'll be supporting Saving the Earth. What more do you need? Again, that's online at winesforchange.com. Discount code CONTACTS at checkout. Hello, and welcome to CONTACTS podcast dedicated to bringing you practical ideas from coaches sharing what they have learned throughout their career. I want to open the door into my network of contacts whose innovative, reflective, and diverse coaching knowledge may offer ideas to enhance your experience. I'm your host, Justin Kleinman. Welcome back to Contacts. We are here with Ken Manfredi, head boys basketball coach at Franklin High School in Elk Grove, longtime history teacher, economics, sports psychology, and fellow UC Davis Aggie. Welcome, coach. Justin, great to be here. And thank you so much for this opportunity. I've really enjoyed listening to some of the podcasts and I'm now subscribed. So I'll continue. Good to be here though. And good to see you. Thank you for joining us, and I'm really excited to talk through your story and, and learn from you as our relationship goes back 25 years probably at this point. We've always talked about how to get better, but now we can pick your brain here and share this for the greater good of the coaching community. So why don't you take us through your background as a coach? How did you end up coaching? What was the process of you landing your first coaching job, assistant job, head job, any subsequent jobs, and tell us your story. That's a fun one to talk about because I love talking to coaches about just what their path has been. Graduating from college, great experience that we both got to be a part of at UC Davis, playing for Coach Williams, learning how to win at the college level. Every coach that I played for, I still remember their name. I still have relationships and every one of them made me a better person and a better player. I've really had that itch to have a role like that in people's lives as well. And that goes down to seventh grade all the way through. So I really reflect on the experiences that have shaped me. And I've worked really hard to try to give that back to what's been given to me because it's had a strong influence on my life. Coming out of college though, I honestly, I went and worked in the tech world, had a great experience, could really combine some intellect with some excitement and the competitiveness of working in sales and marketing. It was a great experience to be around people that were really trying to make things happen. So I could really relate with that. The tech bubble burst in the late nineties, early two thousands and interesting way it worked, but I connected with Anwar McQueen, former point guard at Cal, played with Jason Kidd, a great human being. He's gone on to do great things, eventually coached at USF and worked for sports tech on the technology side and huddle and now he's doing big things with initiatives to help kids connect technology and basketball. 
I met Anwar and a week before the season started, he hired me at Redwood High School in Larkspur in 2000. He was a first year varsity coach. I was a first year freshman coach. Our JV coach uh, was Booker Harris, who's currently the head coach at Dominican University. He was a first year JV coach. We were three first year coaches cutting teeth, having great conversations, learning from each other, playing hard in the gym on weekends. It was a fantastic experience. I did have assistant coach. That's okay. I learned a ton that year and eventually the next year moved back to the Sacramento area and needed to get my teaching credential. And I got the credential uh, program through Elk Grove Unified School District. I student taught and coached my first year as a varsity assistant that second year under Dan Goldman, had a great experience, but really made it known to him early that I want to be a head coach and that I'm, I'm here to learn and I'm here to contribute. And hopefully you can help me with that opportunity. That second year uh, at Elk Grove, which was 2002, I then um, asked him, can I be the JV head coach? I did that for the next two years. And then an opportunity uh, came forth to apply for a job at a new school called Monterey Trail in Elk Grove. And I was lucky enough to get that job in 2004. It, it was really cool to say that I had been a freshman head coach, a JV head coach, a varsity assistant, not necessarily in that order, and just see a whole program. In addition to that, I'd, I'd be selling the story short if I didn't say that my father coached for a long time in Sacramento, and I watched him coach my whole life. I went to all the games. I screamed. I yelled. I went to practices. I went to his state championship game or his, his state finals game. I was in the locker room handing out oranges when I was a little kid. I felt like it was in my blood because I had such a good role model. My uncle, not by blood, but just by hanging out with so much, is uh, Neil McCarthy, former coach at Weber State and New Mexico State. Him and my dad grew up in Vallejo together, and I'd fly out to his basketball camps. I'd go watch his games whenever they played UOP or San Jose State, and he was on the Nike board, picked his brains left and right. So I felt I had a good background. I just needed to learn how to do it. Spent 11 years at Monterey Trail. And it was a fantastic experience to build a program from the ground up. And as much as I was building the program there, I was building myself up as a coach and as a teacher. And it was a great experience. From there, I went to Franklin High School, where I'm at currently. And that was in 2015. It's my neighborhood school. I can wear my shirt at Rayleigh's down the street and talk shop to the community members. And it's a great school, great kids. My wife and I both work there. I have a, a son who's going there now um, and a daughter who's going to go through there and we're as happy as can be. So that's my coaching experience to date. And I cherish every bit of it, the highs, the lows, and the in-between as well. So many gems in that story. And I was definitely waiting to see whether or not you were going to bring your father up because- yeah. As the former El Camino coach, we spent many a years playing yeah. on Al Manfredi Court in the yeah. Rio El Camino rivalry and yeah. definitely a lot to learn there. And then you mentioned Coach Goldman, who was one of the most generous people I ever met as a young guy working at a rival school and being yeah. invited into his practices to watch and learn and, and take what I could from it. One thing I, I really learned from him, and uh, unfortunately he's not here anymore today. What he did for me was what I love to do for coaches that, that I work with and work around, which is 
he was an advocate for me. And I had other advocates with just my contacts, but he helped me get that job and he helped me get ready for that job. And it says a lot because I saw my father do it over and over with other coaches, but to help coaches grow and then to almost set them free and just say, go make that neighborhood better. Go make that area better. Go bring some joy and some organization and some hard work and grit to that group. But circling back to Rio, oh, I, I grew up in that gym, that Rio El Camino, El Camino rivalry, that Rio Jesuit rivalry. It, it burns still fond memories. So fond memories. Absolutely. And I think it's a delicate balance that you have to walk as you mentor young coaches or your assistants and you try to move them on and you're almost kicking them out the door at times. Hey, you need to go get your own job. And the great leaders that we've both been exposed to over time and the coaching tree that we're part of with coach Williams and the branches of that tree, the, the selfish thing is now I'm going to keep all my guys here and make sure our program is great, yeah. but that's not serving them or the athletes. Correct. Yeah. And, and I think we were both able to see that up close and personal and have been able to, to since pay that forward. And, and I wonder you, you get this ninth grade job with Coach McQueen, and then you come back to SAC and you get to work under Coach Goldman. And your father was a longtime, super successful coach, and Coach Williams, and all these people that have poured into you. And, and here we are at Monterey Trail in 2005, and I'm ready to go. I got this job. Here's what we're going to do. What did you learn very quickly that you still needed to figure out? You know what, it was, I'd say first, just how to build a program from the ground up. And given that opportunity, I was hired by Terry Chapman, such a wonderful leader and educator. He was the principal. He was so much confidence in me and just support that this is going to take time, but, but you're the guy I hired and I'm going to support you to help you do it right. So just to build, hire a staff, to learn how to schedule, to build support with the booster club and help build a booster club to manage the administrative side of coaching while at the same time competing in the toughest, one of the toughest leagues in the entire section, which for the first year was the SFL, mm -hmm. which, you know, were the days of Rockland and, mm -hmm. and Wood Creek and Del Oro and these bone crushing football leagues that yeah. just beat the snot out of you on the hard court. And it was great. We got thrown into the fire. We didn't live near any of those schools. Average bus trip was 38 miles one way. So we were putting in about 75 miles, um, coming home from Placer, going against Coach Lee, who's a gold mine of a coach at Placer High School. He was my JV coach in high school and just getting absolutely ripped apart by his real solid teams. It was just great. It was really good to go through that. Transition to the SFL or to the Delta League after that. And it was just big boy city every night. So it's really to how to build a program from the ground up. Second was how to build an identity and try to win with less talent. When you open a new school, you don't really necessarily have control at who's coming to your school. Uh, Monterey Trail was a unique experience. Elk Grove Unified School Districts, a lot of schools in a relatively small area. And so you're getting kids from all over the place and a little bit from this school, a little bit from this school. And I coached, it's a funny story, but I coached two kids in 10 years, 10 or 11 years at Monterey Trail that were taller than me. Now I stand six foot three and shrinking. And I don't think I'll ever go through another decade with that kind of situation. So it really forced me to learn how to coach because you can come in with a system and just live and die with your system. 
And we've probably all experienced that before, but really to coach, you have to know your clientele and you need to know your talent and you need to know all of that and how to build an identity and try to win with less talent. That was really the best thing for my coaching experience. And then the last part, honestly, was just learning how and this is still a constant struggle for, for myself and a lot of people, but, but I'm better at it now. It's just how to manage a work-life balance. And, you Which know. Which doesn't exist for most of us when we're it, young coaches. It or really even- doesn't. I've got just a heck of a teammate in my wife, Josette, who is just a positive coach to help me navigate that and to be true to that, to try to create that balance. And I tried to do all of that. I tried to put 27 hours into 24. And so I just had to learn that wasn't going to be feasible over the long haul as a coach. I think you mentioned it right there in that statement, which is the support of your family and your partner. You can't even put in words how important that is because without that, you're fighting two battles on, on the court against your opponent and then at home to make sure that your relationship stays intact because yeah. you're giving your time to not just your school and your teaching job, but the after-school commitment as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's my number one teammate right there. It has to be, right? It has to be. And, yep. and that's, that's one of those things where I think the longer that you coach, the more that relationship either gets um, tenser or, or it becomes more yep. relaxed as people fall into their roles and, and yeah. whatever it might be. I grew up with that. I saw that in my own home. If you're really going to love your players and you're going to love your job, and treat them like family, like we all try to do inside the locker room, out on the, the, the quad at school and have those, those lifelong relationships. If you're not having that at home, you, you can't really do that as effectively as you would like. So yeah, it's an important part that offers me the opportunity to coach because right. I just wouldn't be able to do that without having a family that's involved and supportive. Absolutely. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. If, if you had to think about your transition from Monterey Trail to Franklin. And now you've got 11 years under your belt, right? Not just this learn vicariously through others, but you've been in the trenches. You've got 11 years under your belt. You had to maybe throw your system out the window and learn to win with the Jimmys and Joes you had versus the X and O's you thought you were going to have. And now I'm going to Franklin and I'm moving back to the neighborhood school and they've had a long tradition of success and you're following in Coach Formaker's footsteps who did a great job. I'm sure you got hit with another dose of reality very quickly there. You know what? First years are difficult and... My first year at Monterey Trail, when we started as a JV program and they matriculate up. Because you only had ninth and 10th graders at the school. Yeah. And so that second year was our first varsity year with juniors and sophomores and freshmen. And we were two and 12 in league. And that was a challenge. So then fast forward, you know, 11, 12 years later, when I get to Franklin and yes, outstanding history of success, coach Formaker, outstanding coach. He's the women's coach now at, at Franklin. He's a great teacher in the classroom. He's a good friend. And I lost a lot of games at that Franklin gym and I had a lot, ton of respect for him. So that was an honor to come in and put on the purple and black and, and be a part of that program and find ways to try to make it better too. Uh, and that first year was very difficult. And I thought I could come in and just start sprinting and that we could just hit the ground running. And it was a challenge and I underestimated and I should have known better in retrospect, just the importance of making solid connections with your players 
and your families and just know that success takes time. It, it just does. That whole phrase we've heard, it takes 20 years to create an overnight or build an overnight sensation. Mm -hmm. it, it can take a minute and I push those kids hard. And there's a lot of resistance that first year. It was a good learning year for me. I learned a lot in that first year. I learned a lot in my first year at Monterey Trail. My subsequent next five years at, at Franklin have been just really big steps forward. Yeah. Anyways, that's a challenge. Anyways. What would you say if you had to identify one or two things that have the biggest ripple effect on your culture in, in regards to if I called you and was like, hey, Kenny, I, I'm really struggling here. I need something to add here that's simple, but it's a through line that we can always go back to. What would you say is the best thing you guys do at Franklin? Maybe you brought it with you from Monterey Trail or you saw somebody else do it, but it's, this is what we do and it makes a transformational impact on the program. I think that a lot of coaches are going to be able to connect with this, but this comes from players because I think that that's the customer that we serve. Mm -hmm. So I can tell you A, B, and C and all that, but it's like, what do they tell you? What was their experience? So the feedback that I get is we have a real family, you know, culture in our program and we work real hard, like a lot of teams do. And at the same time, I try to really have fun, like competing on the court and off the court and just try to create that balance. Cause I have had the fortune of, you know, coached a few professional athletes, but some of those in other sports that went on in other sports. So the end of the day is the vast majority of my kids have not gone on to play division one scholarships and professional athletes. So we're really here providing a great opportunity experience for these kids and trying to get them to realize that if they work really hard and come together, they can achieve things that they didn't think were possible. And I think our sense of family and realistic balance in our program is really good. That's one thing I think we do really well. We, we have a good understanding of, look, we got to work our tails off. We got to play our tails off. And then we have to have fun doing this. I've had teams where we worked super hard and we played super hard, but we didn't have, we might have lost sight of having fun. And that's just not sustainable into February and March, if you want to get there. And ultimately, that's not the experience that we're trying to offer our players. I think probably another thing, honestly, is we strive to be really well prepared. Uh, so to me, I try to be really organized and to try to create meaningful practices and meaningful experiences on and off the court, whether it's a practice, whether it's a team building session, whether it's a team meal, or whether it's the X's and O's and really trying to prep for the opposing teams and give our players, first of all, to give the opponents we play an immense amount of respect because we play in a really challenging league. And so if you don't do that, you're gonna see the results that you didn't do that. Whether that's a lot of use of video, whether that's advanced scouting, walkthroughs, that kind of stuff. I think my players, they'll give me feedback when I have exit interviews that coach, we were prepared and that allowed us to, to gain success. And then lastly, I think the, the other thing that's worked really well is we really work hard at trying to create effective leaders. And that probably supports that family feeling. And to get our guys to really widen or open their eyes or their perspective to think about others than just themselves. And what I mean by that is growing up, it's natural at times for a lot of people to be selfish. It's natural to, I was only five on the court in basketball. This is not football, it's not baseball. Uh, kids play transition and go play AAU and there's a lot of, people coming at them and ranking them and this and that. And 
Um, it can be very individual at times. And for when you're 15 and you're really good, it's hard not to let that get above your shoulders. And we recognize the teachers that make a big impact on our players. We visit our feeder program and go to a game and, and cheer for them and just have fun. We recognize the parents that make an impact in our program and in our community. We run youth camps in the summer, like a lot of other programs. And I really try to put my players in position to be leaders and support them and give them feedback on being a leader. Here's what you did well. And here's what, if we continue to work on how much better you're going to be and what it's going to lead to. We invite, you know, special guests that, into our practices to, to learn from their experiences. And in the end, we just, we want guys to realize that there's a ton of people supporting them mm -hmm. and, and rooting on their journey and that we owe it to them to not only play hard and to put out a good product, but also to be responsible leaders and have a sense of gratitude. Absolutely. And I think summing up what you said that jump off the page for me was you solicit feedback from your players, right? The feedback yeah. loops that you have created allow you to hear their voice and we use the word exit interview, which you hear at the NBA level, but you know, that's a tool that people getting into this can really implement right away and get yeah. feedback as to how their intentions are being received relative to the impact those intentions are having. And I think that's gold coach. I think honestly on that sense, cause that's not something I always did. I, that was, was just something that came with maturity and just listening to mentors and, and then making time for it. Cause you could easily just, you know, go on to the next grade level and all that. But these are guys that have taken charges for our program. These are guys that played when they weren't feeling well. These are guys that got up early after getting home from a trip to the Bay Area and made their first period on time and was still a leader in their first period. These are guys that are you know, opening the door for an elder person at the church on Sunday. These are good dudes. And, and you know this as well as I do. We learn as much from our players as they learn from us. And the relationships that I've forged with so many of you know the players that I've coached, it's just it's unmatched. It's why we do what we do. It's the biggest trophy we can hold on to, which is the lifelong relationship that we have with these people that are working on trying to do what we told them to do, which is work hard and good things will happen. Yep. Absolutely. You mentioned this. And so I'll just dive into this next part when you said, I didn't used to be that way. And so it leads to me being curious now and wondering, all right, so you're 11 years at Monterey Trail. You're five years now at Franklin. So 16 years as the guy, as the, the, the leader of the program where the, you are responsible for what happens. And how would you say your approach to coaching has changed during your career? And but I've been using this as my little anecdote. If we could jump in the old DeLorean and go back, what advice would you offer to young Ken Manfredi getting into this in addition to the sports almanac so you could go bet on the future there? I think I've learned to better understand the rhythm of a season. And I think this parlays into some of my other things that I've learned that not to yell and scream as much and save my intensity for when it's appropriate mm -hmm. and most effective. And I, early on, you know, I'm wearing a suit and I got my tie up there and I'm tight and every possession matters. And it, it does in many ways it does, but I love coaching. This is like you said, 16th uh, year as a head coach, 20th year uh, in total. And I want 10 more. I hope I'm blessed with the opportunity to go 10 more. And 
it's not set in stone. It has to be that, but I want to keep coaching because I want to keep feeling young and, and paying back everything that people have given me, um, whether it's a head coach, whether it's an assistant coach, I just want to be in the gym. And so I learned that if I don't tone it down, then, you know, I'm just, I'm not going to make it again, come February. If you don't have your locker room with you, then you're not going to accomplish very much. And the experience that they leave with is not going to be what it's truly about. I wasn't super negative. I wasn't, but I was just super intense. And I think that as we get older, I have a former player on my staff right now. And he just says, coach, man, you're getting soft on me. And I love it. I mean, he's what a super important person in my life. And I've told him many times, I don't have the energy to always do that. And I don't think it's as effective to always do that. I, I even had a coach, coach uh, Todd Reiswick from Elk Grove High, came into my practice right before playoffs one time. And Todd, he doesn't say a lot while he's analyzing, taking serious mental notes. And he told me after the fact, geez, you guys are going at 11 in practice. He's like, you had a game like a day or two later. You have a playoff game and you guys are picking up full court, diving on the court, taking charge. That stuck with me. So my rhythm has changed a little bit, understanding the rhythm of the season and then the intensity that I need to bring or more often than not bring. And then lastly, I think a lot of us coaches can relate to this. I've learned not to place such an emphasis on the outcome of games mm -hmm. and just to better understand that learning how to win is a process and it takes time. And I think hidden in that journey is just a multitude of processes that allow for different kinds of wins to be achieved along the way. Right. And I think that's most transferable to kids because they might not grow up to be the CEO, but they could be a darn good employee mm -hmm. that makes an impact on that company. They might not be the, the chief surgeon, but they still might be helping somebody become healed and back on their feet again. And just finding those wins within the greater search and journey for creating a winning team, a winning program, and then a winning bunch of dudes, ultimately. I think it's really important to note that as I've been doing these conversations and, and you said you listen and you'll hear this repeatedly that as we get older in our coaching career, the focus tends to shift from outcome thinking to process thinking. And we realize we're preparing these kids for life. Uh, your comment there, they may not be the CEO, but they can be a really good employee. It's just like us having a really good role player and kids understanding what that means in any given situation is is where the theme has gone. And so I think offering that up, your level of intensity, understanding the rhythm of the season, when you got to back off, when you got to press a little bit and what's important now, right? Versus what we think is important has been a really interesting revelation that seems to be the, the repeated theme here. You brought up Coach Ricewig and, and I really want to go a different direction that I wasn't planning, but I think it's important and, and you're going to have an opportunity to answer this however you want, but how as a younger coach and then as an older coach, have you worked to cultivate mentors in your life that can give you feedback in a way that you're going to receive it so you can continue to grow? And the, the people we have around us in our coaching tree are there, but making sure that you have those systems in place for yourself. If I heard that correctly, I just invite that. And I try to surround myself with people that are going to make me better and not just tell me what maybe I want to hear. So uh, those are things I just, I ask for. I think a lot of times 
if you just ask, then you're going to get a response of some kind. No, I can't. Yes, I will. Blah, blah. And so, um, and but I the think vulnerability this- coach to even ask, how do you get yeah. to that point? And at what point did you really start reaching out to, to just, Hey, I need this for me. Yeah. I, I think in my second decade and I got it along the way and it was great, but I'm not sure if I just took it to try to use it mm-hmm. and just rather than take it to not only use it, but also to gain a greater appreciation and respect for that person as well. It's like seeking the answer versus seeking the knowledge. And that comes with maturity. And part of it too, is circling back to coaches and just saying, I love what you do. Somebody has been on my thoughts a lot recently and I'll circle back with him, but I regularly will chat with him was Mark Lee at Placer High School. Again, he was my JV coach. This guy is working on his, probably his 30th year at least. Not only was he my JV coach at Rio Americano in, oh gosh, 1988, uh, maybe 89. He then moved to San Juan High School and we played against him when he got his first varsity job um, at San Juan in the section finals. And so I competed against him as a player. And then voila, my first time um, getting a varsity job, I'm competing against him coach to coach now. So it was a player coach relationship. Then it was a player versus opposing coach relationship for one night in that section championship. And then it was a coach versus coach. And he's a goldmine. In this second decade of mine, I've really learned to appreciate and talk to coaches. I think the fellowship and coaching is super important and it's needed if you're going to coach for a long time. And it's needed if you're going to make the biggest impact that you coach. So those relationships, that's where you get good stuff too. Coach Pavlicek, who I text, I know you're very close with him too. Our circles are are tight. He's given me such great stuff. We've shared good ideas and he's just as good as they come from inside to out. And so sharing, obviously sharing is caring. We've heard that. And so it's fun to do that. And it's fun to hear what works for other people. And it's fun to hear just another angle on, there's a hundred ways to play basketball. You know that, and all be effective. The, I think early on, you think your way is the best way because mm-hmm. you think you know it. And then you realize later that there's 99 other ways and a lot of them are better. <laughs> and you realize you just continue to have so much to learn and, and, and just be better. So I think if you live in that chamber and you don't get that feedback, then you're really missing out because we're giving feedback every day as a coach. So for us not to get feedback or be resistant to that or close-minded would really not fulfill what we are trying to do ourselves, which is to get better and to help people get better. Yes, indeed. And I would say that one of the things that didn't occur to me until much later was the guy sitting across from you on the other bench is probably one of your best resources, especially if it is a longtime rivalry, because they're going to know what your strengths and weaknesses are. And developing a relationship with that individual not only allows those rivalries to take on greater meaning, but it also allows you to figure out your blind spots and grow, which then ultimately trickles down to your kids. Hey, they're the reason why you get better because sometimes they're kicking your butt and they're forcing you to make adjustments as a coach and see things differently. And 
it's jumping to my mind right now, but I look at a relationship that I have. And sometimes we know as coaches, it, it could be a text relationship. It could be in person. It could be, it's all different ways. But I look at people like Denard Wilson at Grand High School. You talk about a hard place to play at Grand High School. And he does such a good job at Grand. And his teams are so well repaired. And it's no coincidence by the end of the year, they always seem to be peaking. And I've just enjoyed relationships with guys that have helped you get better along the way. And just because they're wearing a different color jersey or they live in a different neighborhood or they're a bigger school or a smaller school, it, it don't matter. Relationships, I think, are, it's why we do what we do. We're in the relationship business. Absolutely. I have one more that is coming to mind now. And your kids have played youth sports, I'm sure, growing up. And I always talked about that when I became a father and started coaching my kids and being around other coaches that had nothing to do with basketball, I learned a ton that I was able to then use for my own growth. Are there, and, and you can, again, can take this any way you want to go. You, you have <clears throat> basketball mentors that have poured into you over the years. And then we also have this, hey, I'm just wandering around my campus and I'm going to watch the water polo coach. But if you could name or identify for us any particulars that you've been able to take from certain people over the years that you think would add value to other programs. It'd be great to hear some of those. Yeah, as far as um, um, actual tactic or strategies or, or coaches or yeah, give me some direction on that part. To quote my, my buddy, yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think practice is, the practice facility is a cherished place for coaches. So anytime you can watch people practice, it it helps immensely or on the flip side, have people watch your practice and that could be, so I'm going to start with the youth stuff because I have coached youth sports a, a lot in the last uh, decade as well. Uh, my middle son is now in ninth grade and I, I really think all of us coaches should literally, we all have requirements. We got to do pass this test. We got to take this series on concussions. We got to know this about that. There's a hundred things that we've got to do to make sure that we're certified. I think in the unofficial certification is we should all coach a youth team because it brings you back to the roots and your practices are open because a lot of times in high school, you don't have parents in practice. Uh, that might vary for some coaches, not in my practices, but in youth practices, you've got all, you know, 11 of them there. You've got kids that show up that are, some are you know, just great and they want to be there. Some don't want to be there at all. And you got to make it work. And at the same time, you got to help get them better. But more importantly, you got to create a good experience. And so it is so humbling and so refreshing to coach a youth team. And there's nothing about it that cannot help you become a better coach. From a mindset standpoint, from a preparation standpoint, from the unexpected standpoint. So that should be one thing that we all do. Circling back to the specific part of your question, watching other people work is outstanding. So whether that's watching a football practice and seeing how they manage 60 players on a field, and if they can run a practice that's on time, on target, it's outstanding to watch that. Um, watching a weight training program at Monterey Trail High School with TJ Ewing is a very successful football coach that the amount of work and passion he puts into that weight program is off the charts. You can't help but absorb things you learn from that. And then a lot of it is just watching people and how they 
not only how they coach, but again, how they interact with their athletes when it's time to push, when it's time, as coach Wooden said, to give them a tap on the shoulder and sometimes give them a tap a little bit lower. Not that we necessarily do that, but we know what that means. We right. know what he said by that in that day and in that time. So I think by widening my perspective and, and working with uh, Evan Boylan, third year now coach at, at Franklin, watching him as a young coach that his program and put his footprint on that and how he you know, interacts with his players and, and, and manages his practices and not just manages, but orchestrates his practices. I think that's where you learn the most. So I've learned from, I mentioned a couple of football coaches just because their season comes before us. As a basketball coach, it's easy to get your juice and, and get a little extra from watching the football programs that come before you. I think by the time I hit spring, I watch a ton of baseball because I love it. And we have an, a stellar baseball program at, at Franklin and guys really do move on from that program. And at that point, I am so tired from that basketball season that I want to put the hat on and I want to just sit there and enjoy the sunshine and, and root those guys on. So my lens is a little bit different in that season, but I think the way that we communicate in practice, because in a game, we know that things get intense, things change on a quarter by quarter basis. And I, I think is practice is, is where like we have the biggest opportunity to learn. So I've learned a lot from the coaches that I've watched in practice, how they manage it, but more importantly, managing just because we don't want to just go necessarily go from drill to drill that doesn't have like you can run good drills, but if they're not connected to what you do. And I think this all kind of circles back to culture. And are you doing what you do? And is it intertwined in your culture? And is your teaching and are you modeling your culture? And so I think the best coaches I've watched, like literally live and breathe and model that every single day. And that's what I think that I've learned over the last, over my first 15, 16, you know, 20 years as a coach. That's awesome. And I think finishing there, the cliche that I'm sure you've heard is you got to fight for your culture every day and uh, getting things that are aligned with the mission and vision of your program and not yep. just adding random stuff to the recipe, but things that actually- I mean, Culture wins, culture wins. And, and we've all, and I know coaches listening to this as well, you can lose your culture quickly. The moment you get comfortable, the moment you think it's in place and, and you can go on to the next thing and graduate your culture. Um, and it's gonna take two to four years to get that back and in place. So you've got to fight for it every day. You got to teach it every day. You got to model it every day. And it's got to align with your value system. And if that's the case, then you are teaching an authentic culture that will transfer beyond the season and into the lives of those you work with. Thanks for being here, coach. That was fun. Yeah. Definitely going to have to come back for round two once we uh, get it. to the other yeah. side of COVID and have some games and we can yep. talk about how you've implemented some things you've heard from others and uh, yeah. appreciate you taking the time. Hey, and keep up the great work. This podcast is outstanding. I'm already a huge fan. I'm, I'm excited for the next one to pop up so I can listen and learn and, and just appreciate other coaches just opening up and sharing what they do and what they would do better and what works, what doesn't work. It's great. It's the fellowship of what we do. Yes, indeed. And that was yeah. the design. And I'm glad that I feel like we're hitting that mark. Yeah. Thanks for providing that platform. Absolutely. 
This podcast was also brought to you by teachhoops.com. As coaches, our inboxes will get flooded with noise on how to make your program better. Teachhoops.com will get you focused on what needs to get done. One thing you've heard from these podcasts is no matter the experience, you got to keep pushing yourself to be better. Coach Steve Collins will help you direct that noise. He is there to help you. He has the credentials as a coach, and he's never turned down a Teach Hoops member. Sign up for a plan at teachhoops.com and mention us at checkout. This site is simply there for... This site is here simply to help you be better. Take advantage and see you on the court. Remember, go to teachhoops.com. Thanks for listening. If you found this valuable, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and give contacts and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support.